Welcome to the Compete Every Day podcast, a weekly show to help you harness the power of competition to be better than yesterday. Hear each week from performance leaders, coaches, and experts on the benefits of competition and how you can use it to win at work and in life. And now, your host, Chief Encouragement Officer at Compete Every Day, Jake Thompson. What's up, competitors? We are back. It is a brand new week, and it is a great day and opportunity to be better than we were yesterday. That's right. Tuesdays are about being better than we were on Monday, because that's what competitors do. And this week is a very special episode of the Compete Everyday podcast, as I get to welcome to the show a guest I've known for almost two decades. That's right. This week's guest I met at a Texas A&M football camp the summer before my senior year in high school, and we've been buddies ever since. He is someone that I look to not only for wisdom and encouragement, but he is someone I know that will challenge me and hold me to a higher standard in what I am truly capable of. Now, before I welcome this guest to the show, I want to remind you about two things. One, if you want to get in touch with the show, drop us a note. Podcast at CompeteEveryDay.com is the absolute best way to get in touch with us at the show. I read every single email that comes through, and I'm always valuing your input, your insight, your guest suggestions on who we should have on the show to talk about competition, to talk about how can you as a competitor harness this power that is competition to be better than yesterday, to win at work, to reach your goals and have your best life? That's what this show is about, and we are made and created solely to help you do just that, compete every day to be better than yesterday. And second, if you love the show, share it with a friend. The more people that learn about the show, the more competitors there will be in the world, the greater the positive impact those competitors can keep making. So if you're already competing, and I have a feeling you are because you're here each and every week, then you know what it takes to be better than yesterday. And you're constantly on the lookout to be better. But there's someone in your circle, there's someone else you run with that has a desire to be a better individual. They, they don't quite know what it means to compete every day. This is the place for them. Introduce them to the show. Turn them on to this idea of competing every day because that is the one and only way you're going to be better than yesterday. Make an impact on them by being the competitor who shows them what the way is. Now, I'm excited to welcome to the show one Akeem Leviston. And man, like I said, we go back We take a turn down memory road a little bit, but this conversation is all about competition from a coach's perspective. Kim played college football. He has been a college coach, and now he is a high school coach. And he talks about the differences coaching at every level, but the the impacts of what he is able to do with kids, what lessons he wants to instill in these youth, and they're lessons that apply to us today. It's things that we can pass on to our kids, but... It's also the things that we can remind the person that we see in the mirror every day. Do your best. Be a competitor. Great lessons and great stories behind that. So without further ado, I've got, man, I'm so excited to welcome to the show, longtime friend, Coach Akeem. Coach Akeem, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. How are you today? I cannot complain, sir. How about yourself? (laughs) Man, we go back. I think we were, what, 16 when we first met? Somewhere in that ballpark? 16 or 17 down in College Station. And we are, uh, our our friendship is pushing almost two decades now. uh, And that's that's scary because you only think of old people knowing folks for 20 years. And here we are. about we're closer to knowing each other 20 years than 10 years that's right that's right man well tell everyone listening that doesn't know you as well as i do who you are where you coach football and how you got there okay uh currently i'm the offensive coordinator at white house high school um, just southeast of tyler um kind of a long and windy road in my coaching career um as jake mentioned born and raised in rust texas a little small town out in east texas um, quarterback for my entire life. And um, 
as a senior in high school, I got a scholarship to East Central University, a Division II school out in um, Oklahoma. Played ball out there for five years. Uh, do I have time to tell how I got to East Central? Dude, yeah, give it. Give it. Tell okay. them about okay. it. Okay, so so here's what happened. It's uh, my senior year of high school. Um, we have a, a pretty decent year. We get back to the playoffs. Um, and this is 2001. So at the time, nobody is really throwing the football like you see people throw the football now. So I ended the year with just under 2,000 yards passing and just under 1,000 yards rushing. And all season long, I had been in talks with Kilgore Junior College, and I was dead set that, hey, man, I'm going to Kilgore, I'm going to Kilgore, I'm going to Kilgore. Um, A man by the name of Russell Thompson was recruiting me, and he was uh, really, really interested. And then all of a sudden, he says, Akeem, uh, my head coach really wants you to – uh, convert to being a defensive back. And I said, absolutely not. I played about 15 plays in my varsity career on defense. Everything else was quarterback. So it's around January and the talks with Kilgore are broken off. So I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm going to get a chance to play ball. Well, Coach Thompson knows some guys out in Oklahoma, uh, tells me, hey, I think you should take a peek at this quarterback in Rusk. Um, the, I get a voicemail on the machine one day uh, from John Hevener, who was the uh, receivers coach at East Central at the time. He sends the head coach down to visit me, um, Coach Dennis Darnell. Uh, coach Darnell drives 252 miles to come and visit me. And at the time, I was thinking, there's no way I want to go to Oklahoma. So when he came in on the home visit, I acted like, you know, I was going to Florida State or something. But uh, he leaves, drives back that night, and I'm talking to my parents a little bit. And uh, I guess it was probably about midnight because he was still driving. I called him back and I said, hey, I'm coach, I'm, I'm going to commit. I appreciate you coming down. And so uh, about a week later, I go up on my uh, official visit to the school, which was, I believe, one, maybe two weeks before signing day. I was the only kid that was on the visit because it was so late. Everybody else had already been um, booked up. So we go to a basketball game. It was ice everywhere. They had actually moved the game from one school over to East Central. So when I'm up there, I'm thinking, this is terrible. There's nobody here. But uh, I ended up going back home, and I was like, look, my, my dad told me, he said, you can go play ball and have your school paid for, or you can stay at home, go to work, and go to school you know, wherever you want to around here. So uh, 16 years later, I was a two-year starter, um, all-conference one year, and I never looked back after that. Uh, that was one of the great lessons for me, that if you want to do something, you're going to have to make some sacrifices in order to do it because it's not going to always be mapped out uh, that way. But that's how I ended up at East Central. Uh, after I left East Central, uh, my first job was a graduate assistant and weight room intern at the University of Louisiana Monroe in 2007. Um, and and I want to add that program. year, I want to add, I still remember you guys beat Nick Saban in the University of Alabama that year, too, if I remember correctly, Nick, at Little yes. Louisiana Monroe. 21-14 in Alabama on their senior day. Uh, interesting little tidbit behind that. Um, I, I can't remember who they played the week before us, but there was um, there was reports of a scheduling conflict with the game. Now, Alabama and Auburn always played the end of the year. So they bumped the time for our game up because they wanted more time in recovery for Auburn. So we go in there and completely shock the world and beat those guys 21 to 14 in Nick Saban's first year. I think we had three, three interceptions um, defensively. And then we drove down with about, I don't know, three minutes left in the fourth quarter through about a four yard touchdown pass to win the game. Um, Still one of the craziest games I've ever been a part of. Um, But that's one little uh, nugget that I like to open up conversations with is, one of the few people that have been on a team to actually beat Nick Saban at Alabama. That's right. Um, after I leave ULM, I go to the University of Central Oklahoma. I coach receivers out there for two years. Um, in 2010, <laughs> in 2010, I go to 
uh, Rose Institute of Technology, which is in Terre Haute, Indiana. I coached quarterbacks there for one year. Um, the coach that I work for, he gets fired. So, of course, the staff gets fired. And I moved back to Texas, and I've been in high school ever since. I started at Grace Prep Academy as the offensive coordinator there. Spent six years as the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, assistant head coach at Irving Nimitz. And that leads me to where I am today, the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator at White House High School. Man, I, I love it because we've laughed about neither one of us being back in East Texas and, and you actually beat me back uh, to the 903. So, uh, man, thanks for sharing. I'm excited about your new opportunity. Ironically, uh, I've got a cousin that's going to be on the uh, White House varsity team next year. So a, a really special year for me to get to see you. But man, we joined and we talked about having this conversation just to talk about, man, the love of competition. And obviously as a coach, uh, a quarterback, nonetheless, that is the captain, is kind of the eyes and ears and leader on the field. There's a lot of special things about competition. And so, one, I'd love to hear from a coaching perspective what you love about competition, seeing competition in your players and, and ways that you try to encourage it, either with position players or with uh, just kind of the offense as a whole during the offseason when you're not playing other people. Mm-hmm. I think competition, I mean, it, it's, it's in you when you're born. Um, I mean, just look out, look out in the world and look at animals, animals that have to eat other animals to survive. I know that's kind of a gory um, illustration, but that's really what competition is. Um, quick, interesting story. When I was in the fourth grade, I played on a traveling basketball team and we played in Grapeland, Texas against the Crockett Bulldogs. And at the time, they had a really big kid. I still remember his name because I played him all through high school. His name was LaTadrick Riley. And he and I were both post players. And for whatever reason, I didn't compete the way that I should, especially now knowing what competition is. I didn't compete the way that my dad thought that I should. And looking back on it, I didn't. So as we make that drive back home, he didn't talk to me. He didn't say anything. Um, He didn't belittle me. Nothing. Didn't do any of that. But the whole ride home, silent. No radio, no nothing. Uh, We get home, and my mom asks me how the game goes. Um, I tell her, and then I say, he didn't even stop to give me anything to eat. Well, my mom (laughs) asked my dad. She goes, Jerry, why didn't you get our son something to eat? And my dad's reply was, he knows why he didn't get anything to eat. And ever since then, I've had no problem going out and competing to the best of my ability. And that was his way. And, you you know, people, you know, they could criticize it as to why you would do that to a kid, blase, blase, blase. But there was never a question in my mind that my dad loved me. That was just his way of teaching me a lesson that anytime you do something, you got to compete and you're not always going to win. But you've got to compete to be the very, very, very best that you can be. Not anybody else's best, just you. So that little illustration is kind of where I learned to compete no matter what. Dude, but as I, far as – So I, I love that. I, I want to stop from it. I love that for the sheer fact that it had nothing to do with the score. Nothing. Because a lot of times parents are going to braid of, oh – you know, you should have scored more points or you should have done this, but your dad was concerned about your effort and he saw Mm -hmm. it and knew that your effort was not where he knew you could be and even pushing it. And so he, he used that opportunity to teach you a lesson, not only in that moment in that sport, but I mean, obviously one that's impacted you well beyond that sport in your life. Oh, no question. 25 years later, I still remember it. Like it was, you know, yesterday. Um, now, do I remember the details of the game? No, but do I remember the lesson and the events of it? Absolutely. And those are the. And I remember the kids you played against. Oh, it, you know, you talked about us talking about camps and things like that. Uh, here's a little nugget for people that are, you know, parents really that are wanting to take kids out to camps. Uh, the same camp that you and I met each other at um, at Texas A&M in two, at the summer of 2001. 
I believe it was. Yeah, the summer of 2001. Yep. So Latadric and I, we arrive at pretty much the same time. So a little backstory on that. We were in the same district with Crockett forever. Um, our senior years together, we were both all-state quarterbacks. My numbers and stats were actually much better than his. Both of our teams go to the playoffs. But here's the small factor that a lot of people don't like to talk about. When we walk in that door, everybody, all the coaches from AM, they come up to them. Hey, Latodrick, what's going on, buddy? How's your summer been? You know, everything's looking good. You know, how's your parents doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, when I walk up to them, they tell me, hey, all right, how you doing, young man? The check-in line is right over there. The difference between Latodrick and I, it wasn't necessarily he was a better athlete. He was 6'3", 190 pounds, and I was 5'9", 150 pounds. And we both played the same position. But he passed the eye test. I didn't pass the eye test. Needless to say, he went on to play receiver at AM, and I had to go play Division II ball. But some of those things are out of your control. That goes back to the, the competition part. Um, I competed just as hard as he did, but obviously my best wasn't good enough to reach the level that his best was able to put him at. But, you know, the, the interesting part about that is as well as is the effort fact and and having the the effort that just because you have that size and speed and and you know certain physical traits that without the work it's never going to add up which you know we always talk about and coaches always talk about hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard and mm-hmm. you know before we got on air we talked about the NBA finals going on right now almost over and and lebron oh, it's over it's over it's over 3-0 at this point it's over it's over but he is physically one of a kind and he could have made the nba and been there but how many guys are physically unreal and still sit at home and watch pro basketball pro football because they didn't have that effort that competitive drive to get better and and do their best I would venture to say that it's probably 75% more than we actually see that get it done. And that starts back with, you know, you can compete for athletics, but the the part of athletics that kids don't like is the only way you get to show what you can do athletically is if you show what you can do academically. And that's, that's never going to change. So as hard as you compete on the court or on the field, Um, wherever it may be, you've got to compete just as hard in the classroom. And it's not that you have to compete to get a certain number. You just got to compete to do exactly the best that you can do. But there's way more guys. um, You know, I, I would venture to say that they're not as talented as LeBron, but there are plenty of guys that I could name off that have talent and ability but they don't have that drive inside them for whatever reason. They, they either weren't taught how to do it or they chose not to do it, but they just wouldn't compete to where, you know, their physical bodies would allow them to. And that's a, that's a mental thing. That, that is, I mean, that's the one thing being a, a Mavs guy, you've got somebody like a JJ Barea mm-hmm. who, I mean, he's, he's my size looks tiny on the court, but I mean, there's a lot of guys that played, a game in the NBA, maybe one season, didn't even make the NBA that are far more athletically talented than JJ ever could be at his peak. But yet JJ's built a decade long career has an NBA title just from outworking, being persistent, playing smart. I mean, everything that you want and look for. And so that, that talent factor, even though you coaches, a lot of times they see that physicality immediately doesn't always prove that that's what's going to make it for you and so just because you're talented if you're listening and you're talented you sure as heck better be driven i would you know in in texas high school football i would say that if you look at the state champions very rarely you know obviously you, you have to have talent to win and be successful in a team sport but 
in my experience, it's hardly ever the team with the, just the unbelievable kids that are winning. You know, I could name three schools just within the Metroplex that have more talent than 98% of the schools in Texas. But yet, for whatever reason, they don't win the state championship year after year after year. Why is that? It goes down to, are you working, as you said? Um, are you showing up and being consistent? Do you have that attitude like Berea has that every single day I want to come and I want to bring it? So the, the talent is a very ugly word in the athletic field, in my opinion. Talent is a very ugly word because when, when if somebody looks out there on the court and is like, man, that kid's talented. Well, the first thing that you just said was he's talented. Why are you not talking about his work ethic and his skill? You just said that he's a talented kid. So to me, the word talent is very ugly, in my opinion. So is it the same? Do you hold it in the same regard as the word potential? Mm, no, I would say talent is worse. I would say talent is worse. Um, I think if you use the word potential, um, it depends on what you use around the word potential uh, that makes it ugly. But when you just say, oh, man, that's a talented kid. Well, usually when they're saying that's a talented kid, they're probably not following it up with something that is just unbelievable. So um, I would choose talented as being worse than potential. Okay. All right. So let's let's talk about the position you're in, especially uniquely some of the other guys we I've talked to, they, you know, they coach position players. We've had uh, coach Rich Bartell that does quarterback training and, and coaches now quarterback coaches and other coaches. Uh, we've got some college coaches on this season, a, a couple of pro athlete coaches, very different in the high school realm because uh, you've got these kids, you know, majority of them you've got for four years, some kind of influence on them for four years, even if they're playing freshman or JV and school and, and the rest of their life is is heavily impacted by the things that they learn at this age. Um, mm -hmm. And for a lot of them, we know they never go on to play that sport at another level. How do you encourage competition in a healthy manner with them during the off season so that they're getting better, not only in that sport, but like you said, school and classes and, and other areas of their life that those lessons that competition provide uh, teach them what they need to learn to be successful in life. One thing that we do that seems kind of small, but I think is, is really big. Um, everybody enjoys praise, if that makes sense to you. Everybody enjoys having their name called. So one of the cool things that we've done in the past at schools that I've been at is we would have a success board. And what that success board was, it was just strictly academics or if a kid was caught doing something the right way that teacher would email us as coaches and then we would put it up on the board and we would bring attention to it and you know you kind of tie that into this is how it's going to go in the real world when you're doing things the right way you're going to get those opportunities that other people won't get um, because for whatever reason it, it, it's hard for young youngsters to do the right thing when everybody else is not. But it's also, um, there's not very many CEOs out there. There are more employees that are all CEOs. So if you want to get to that point, you're going to have to set yourself apart and do those right things. So we kind of try to um, encourage them by drawing attention to, hey, these guys are doing it right. Now, that's a, a, a non-physical thing. Now, as far as, you know, physical, we try to do as much scorekeeping and one-on-one -on -one battles as we possibly can because that's what it's going to be when you go in for that job interview how are you going to set yourself apart with the next guy both of you got the same credentials but what is the company getting in you that they won't get in the other guy so we try to put as many obstacles where it's just you versus one more person and then see who wins because no matter what and it, it it's not cool to say it, but there's a winner and a loser in everything. Uh, there's somebody out there right now that probably had the same idea that you did uh, of a podcast. You followed through. They didn't. So there's a winner and a loser to that. How do you how do you work with those athletes then? Because a lot of times you've got you've got guys when you match them up in certain areas. And obviously you're you're being strategic in how you match them up. But 
if you put them into certain situations and they continually get beat, but they're continuing to keep going and competing, how are you approaching them from a praise or an encouragement standpoint or making sure that their efforts are noticed despite running into that wall, not, not getting progress, because let's be honest, that's how life works. A lot of times Mm -hmm. you're going to be toiling and failure hitting. No, 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 no. Until you finally hit that breakthrough. One of my favorite sayings to my kids um, in the classroom and on the field is sometimes your best is not good enough, but you've got nothing to hang your head about because you did your best. Um, You can't sugarcoat it and tell them that, hey, you're doing a a really good job when they aren't. But in life, you really don't control the results because there's too many variables involved, if that makes sense to you. So when a kid is giving you everything that they can give you and they still aren't, quote unquote, winning, you can still slap them on the butt and say, good job. But you also have to let them know, hey, you know, Today, your best wasn't good enough, but you gave it your best, and that's all we can ask for. I don't think that's a loser's attitude at all. Um, Just look at at baseball. Those guys lose way more than they win as far as an individual aspect um, of a a hitter is concerned. But uh, that's kind of how Yeah, you fail seven out of ten times, you're an all-star. Exactly, exactly. Now, that's the kind of attitude you got to have – when you have kids who are struggling to get the results that they want. And that's something that, you know, we've been talking to the guys here at the new spot is we can't focus on winning because, you know, contrary to popular belief, you don't control winning. There there could be fumbles. There could be a sprained ankle to two teammates. Um, Somebody can get food poisoned. Heck, I got my first start in college because the quarterback, that I was competing with, he got a stomach bug. And literally, as we're kicking the ball off, the head coach gets on the headset and says, Akeem, you're going. So there's things that you don't control. That, that's, that's a true story. We were playing Northeastern Oklahoma State, and we lost 16 to 14. But that is so true. You don't control those things, and you never know what might happen. So even though you gave it your best and you didn't win, you got to shake it off and get ready for the next one because there will be a next one. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that reminding those kids about that. What are some ways that you you work with them from a praise? Is it the praise standpoint that you talked about of, of that public recognition in terms of making sure those kids understand the importance of, of competing against and doing their best in the classroom as well as what they're doing in the field house and on the field? It's a, I'll speak to where I've been the last six years at Nimitz. Um, inner city kids um, who 90% of them don't have both parents at home. And those kids crave the fact that they have a man that will look them in the eye and tell them two things. I love you, proud of you, and three things, and good job. Um, that alone um, goes a long way with the kids that I've been a part of in high school. Um, just that right there. Um, and it's not a, it's not a rah, rah, look at this kid all the time. Sometimes it's just a one-on-one. Hey man, I love you. I'm proud of you. You know, I like what you did and, you know, I enjoyed watching you compete today. Things like that go a long way. And something that I learned a long time ago from uh, one of my former head coaches is if a kid is showing up every day, you're doing something right with him but you've got to keep doing whatever it is that you're doing to keep them coming back. And a lot of times it's those three things. I love you. I'm proud of you. I enjoyed watching you go out there and compete. And as coaches, that's really all you want to see your kids do is go out and compete. I know me myself. um, I do because I know how, how fleeting that winning is. Yeah. And that's an interesting perspective that you don't always hear from coaches. Um, and so I, I appreciate you, you being honest and sharing that. Let's I want to talk a little bit as a as a head uh, or as a varsity coach, offensive coordinator. You're working a majority of the kids you're working with, junior, seniors. You've got some sophomores, very occasionally freshmen. But these kids are 14, 13, 14, 15 by the time, you know, they're getting into kind of your 
hands and in your oversight. Uh, there's been a lot of conversations I've had lately around youth sports. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of the conversations have been around this idea of participation trophy, trophies, which I think I know where you stand on that based on the importance of competing and understanding the, the difference between winning and losing. And when you're losing, you've got to understand what you need to do to get better. But, mm-hmm. you know, one of the other issues I heard a, a lot about is youth sports there's not as many or not very many to that degree qualified coaches that are impacting these kids. And so you're seeing that with a number of other reasons, a sharp decline in youth sports participation, which is obviously increasing youth obesity and a few other areas in that. Have you seen anything from your standpoint on how kids are are being raised with sports um, specialization or anything else that's impacting maybe the high school athlete much differently than maybe when we were in high school or when you were first starting to coach? Mm-hmm. That is a loaded question. And I had a bunch of answers in my mind that I'm probably going to forget to touch on, but here we go. So the first thing, um, the participation trophies, um, I do not agree with them, but I do see what people are trying to do, but I do not agree with it at all. Um, I've got two nephews and they're seven and four, I believe, or six and three, one one or the other, but both of them play sports and they get trophies no matter what happens. And they keep score, but they don't keep score. So when you see a little kid, you know, you know, they lost, you know what the score is. I think people are trying to avoid kids having failure which is in the long run is making life easy on them. And that's not what real life is. So I don't agree in that sense. Going back to what you said, you've got to learn how to fail early and, and learn to, to get yourself better. So no participation trophies for me. As far as how things have changed from when we were playing as to now, in high school, everything is geared around, can I get my kid a scholarship? And what what parents aren't understanding is there is a very, 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 very small percentage of kids that will go on to play at the next level. I don't care if it's NAIA, JUCO, Division Three, Division Two, One um, AA, Division One. It doesn't matter. Um, that is a real small population of people. And parents um, today, they forget that coaches aren't just coaching their kid. They're coaching a lot of people's kids out there and they can't just give all of their attention to Jimmy or Sally. Um, There's an entire program that they have to run Um, with the sports specialization. There are very few elite athletes. And I tell my kids all the time, if LeBron James can play high school football, bud, you can too. All right. Um, Basketball players that I've been around, I'd say the majority of them, they don't want to get on the football field for whatever reason. They think they have to play basketball year round. Uh, And that's just not the case. Um, There are a lot of kids that are doing it. But, you know, if you look through the the NBA right now, most of those guys were elite, 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 elite level athletes early on. Um, But that's also a very small population of people. So guys look at Steph Curry and they think there's a million Steph Currys out there. They're not. And so they try to model themselves and do what he did when he was in high school, but you can't. And I like to use the example of um, if you're wanting to be a a college basketball player, there's probably going to be at any given time four, three to five scholarship offers per team, maybe as opposed to a football team where there's going to be anywhere from, depending on what level you are, um, everybody splits up the scholarships except for division one. So depending where you are, there could be anywhere from 18 to 25, 27 guys um, getting a scholarship. So when you specialize in one sport and using football and basketball, you're cutting your opportunities um, more than half just because of the numbers game of who actually gets those scholarships. Uh, I know I'm kind of going all the way around, but there's a lot. No, no, no. I I would say, uh, so in a, in a previous episode, uh, 
Rich Bartel was talking about it because he he kind of sits both. He said, you know, I, he sees the need for specialization in a few select sports from an early age: swimming, gymnastics, uh, in basketball. You do have those almost freaks of nature where you you see that size that I mean everything all there that it warrants that. But in terms of the multi-sport athlete, you know, what do we say of uh, 59 of the last 64 NFL first round draft picks were multi-sport athletes in high school. That's not a coincidence. They played multiple. Th- no, that's, that's and, not and, a coincidence. <laughs> and you think about it, I'm looking at the numbers right now by the NCAA and it talks about the overall percentage of kids that will pl- go from high school to play in the, in the NCAA play college. And this is like, total percent division one division two and division three combined so we're not even talking about high of the high but in basketball it's 3.4 percent of all kids there's over 550,000 kids in the U boys in the u.s playing high school basketball and only a little under 19,000 will ever play in the ncaa whereas women it's the same it's a little bit higher it's 3.8 percent Football is 6.9% for guys. I mean, the highest sports where you see kids go from high school to college in terms of playing on the men's side, it's lacrosse and it's still 12%. And on the women's lacrosse is 12% with the one anomaly being women's ice hockey uh, of 24%, but there's less than 10,000 girls in the U S that play ice hockey so you're i mean your percentages are so small and that's even division three that it's all academic scholarship at that point so you really have to be dialed in on your classes yeah um the school that i was at in indiana rose hogan institute of technology i believe it was 52,000 per year to go to school there but when you walk out of there the average salary at the time, this is 2010, was about $86,000 for the kid that walked out of there and graduated. But in order to get in that school, guess what you had to do? You had to learn to be able to compete academically. If you played sports, that was just a bonus that you wanted to go play sports. But I I think going back to the specialization, I think uh, kids get, they, they get a warped sense of reality because they think that there's a lot of people playing basketball on television and they don't, all they see is the guys that are on TV. They don't see all of the guys that are playing in the G league or that are just, you know, hooping across the country in a high school gym. They don't see that. So they don't really get to realize that, man, there's not a lot of people doing what those guys do. So they think, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm, if I just play year round, I'll be good. Well, it's not the case. Um, I, I just think about the average height in the NBA, I believe, is 6'7". That's just an average height of 6'7". So, you know, if you're a 6'2 guy and you're thinking, hey, I'm going to make it big, the chances of that happening are very, very, very small. That's not to say you don't need to compete for, but you got to be realistic and keep your options open. Um, we have a receiver this year at Nimitz who's a 6'1 guard on the basketball court. So-so, talented-wise. But on the football field, he's 6'1", and he looks like a Greek god. And we had to constantly convince him that, hey, man, your options, we, we want you to play basketball. The, listen to us. We want you to play basketball. But on the basketball court, you're a dime a dozen. But on the football field, when people walk out there, there's not many guys that look like you and can do the things that you're doing at that size. So the, the specialization thing, um, I know kids think if they if they miss, you know, this season of summer ball or this season of winter ball that they're going to be left behind. But that's just not the case. And I think that goes back to when you're competing in different sports, you're learning different ways to train your mind and your body to compete when you're doing different things. I love that. I mean, that you mentioned and even that kid that you had at Nimitz, I mean, six, one in basketball, he's dime a dozen, but the football field, you know, you stand out, but, but you encourage him to play basketball because man, what a great sport for footwork. quickness and side to side. I mean, that's perfect for a skill player. So you're encouraging that other sports, but when you're looking at the long-term perspective for this 
kid, you want him to be in the understanding of what the reality is and where his best opportunities lie based on the strengths that he has. Uh, I'm interested in, in oh yeah. You know, when, when people, I look at it this way, you're only going to be, you know, we talked about all those percentages of kids going to play college ball. It's very small. So as a coach or as a parent, why would you push your kid to specialize in one sport and all the while you're robbing them of an opportunity to make a lot of memories with a lot of different people, a lot of different kids if they're playing multiple sports? Because chances are the majority of those kids are never going to be in a team setting like that ever again because they're not going to play college. So if a kid wants to play three sports, Dude, go play three sports. It's fine. It's okay. Um, if they want to play two, that's fine. But, you know, just telling a kid they can only play one sport with the likelihood that they're never going to be a part of a team once they walk across the stage of graduation, I think is uh, it's, it's, just, it's robbing kids of their childhood, for lack of better words. Dude, I, I love that because, I mean, I remember playing sports as a youth. You're playing, you know, City League soccer and it's kids you grew up with and, and all that. But then you're getting into that high school opportunities and football and baseball. And you just create these memories with guys or girls um, on the girl side that you're going to have the rest of your life. Like, mm-hmm. And it's not the Napoleon Dynamite. I remember when I won state. 40 years ago kind of things that it's the memories you had and the experiences shared that, that you're always going to look back on fondly Mm -hmm. uh, that even if you never play another down past high school, like those are still some of the greatest times you had because of that experience, because of that camaraderie. And honestly, as you grow into a more mature adult throughout your years, you understand that those times when man, you're learning to deal with people from, different backgrounds that communicate differently, that handle anger and attitudes differently. I mean, all the things that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis in corporate America within teams and organizations, like you can trace back lessons that you learn in those team settings to how they're beneficial now. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. I agree with that 1000%. So I got to ask you, so I want to ask you, obviously as a brand new father, I know above all else, you want, you know, your child to know that they're loved, Mm -hmm. but if they choose to play sports or they choose to get involved in activities of soccer and other sports growing up, what is one thing that you want them to always remember or always think about when they're out there? Another loaded question. The first is <laughs> the, the the first thing is when you walk out on the on the uh, playing field. If they're keeping score, you need to win. That's a harsh reality. But if they're keeping score, you need to win. Now we did talk earlier that there's a lot of things that you don't control. I get that. But if you're gonna be out there, you're gonna be out there to win. Now the second piece of that is. You need to do everything within your power to be successful. Um, And that could be a lot of things. That could be your preparation. That could be your attitude. That could be just you being a good teammate. But all those things um, bundled together is you just being the best that you can be. So that would be my two things. You're playing to win, and you're going to do the best that you can absolutely do. as a coach, if they for some reason don't, you're going to not stop for food on the way home. I would probably go about it a little differently. <laughs> but, but if I can't think of anything else, I mean, I can always fall back and say, you know what? It worked for me. I might try it now. Sure. My, mother, my mother might not agree with that, but it worked for me. But those are the two things I really wanted to do. You got to have an attitude that I'm going to win. And, you know, just so you can go home and sleep at night go out there and do the very best that you can do. Um, That would be how I would approach that if my daughter or hopefully a future son someday wants to go out and compete in sports. So on that same loaded question, I'm going to ask you if it's not your kid, we'll say boys coming into your program as freshmen, they're, Uh they're finally getting to high school. 
What is the one thing that you wished youth sports coaches that had them growing up told them or taught them? I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth that they didn't teach them they did, or they didn't coach them just to win. They need to coach them fundamentally. So here, here's kind of my thought process on youth sports all the way up to junior high. Um, in youth sports, you've got to teach the kids how to play the game and keep them coming back the following year, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. Teach them the fundamentals and get them to come back the following year. As you go into middle school or junior high, as we call it there in East Texas, when you get into that point, it's teaching kids the, the fundamentals of the game. And now you you become a little more um, cognizant of that scoreboard there. When you get into sub-varsity, um, now you're kind of finding your role as to what you are, what position is this kid uh, going to specialize in on that one particular team. And then once you start getting into varsity sports, that's when it is you got to realize, hey, here's your role on the team. You might be a two-minute uh, in a basketball game guy, you may just be a utility runner in baseball. You may be the backup quarterback in football. But at that point, that's when it becomes about winning. So to go back to that original question in youth sports, I wish they would teach them the true fundamentals of the game and how it's to be played. I like that. I like that. And I think obviously as, as I mentioned earlier in some other conversations, there's there's definitely a need for that of having those qualified coaches as as well as not only teaching them the fundamentals, but getting them to come back each season. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's mm-hmm. that's a lot of that communication, encouragement, but challenging them at the same time, knowing that you see their potential to do better and reminding them of that instead of just being on them letting them know why you're pushing them, why you're, you believe that they have more, um, which I think is crucial, man. Uh, this has been awesome. I, uh, I've had a lot of fun tonight just chatting and, and hearing your thoughts and, and man, always getting to talk about one of our favorite subjects. Uh, I know you are not a big social media guy and, and love to, to keep things quiet on that front. But if we want to follow along your upcoming season, does White House ISD have any school social or something that we can share so that people can learn, watch what you do in action? You, you hit the nail on the head. Boy. My wife teases me all the time because I am super quiet on social media. Usually I'm just a browser. I don't put a lot out there. I just browse. Um, now, when the head coach had the switch, we're going through um, who we want to run the social media account that we want to start over. So that's up in the air. Um, my social media is at Coach Lev 2 um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook. I really don't use Facebook that often. And when I'm on Twitter, it's usually keeping up with something um, involving athletics or something motivational, something to do with church. Uh, I don't get into the celebrity stuff and things of that nature. So if you want to check out anything that's going on with me, um, it's at Coach Lev too. So okay, so I'm going to ask you, as someone who who likes to cyber stalk instead of post, what do you? Uh, who do you like following in the coaching world? Who do you like following in sports that you feel set a good example and and you're always gleaming some wisdom from the stuff they're putting out there? Oh man, now I got to pick my phone up and see who I've been. Talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> now I gotta pick my phone up. Uh, you, you know, trying to give some people some follows. Oh man, I would have to say, I'm, and I'm looking on here right now. Let's see. Uh, there's a guy out in uh, Arkansas. His name is Jay Derby. He's the offensive coordinator at Washita Baptist. I like list, uh, reading up on Bruce Feldman. Um, writer over at The Athletic. I like reading what he has to say. Um, ironically, I love looking at USA Today. I know that's kind of boring, but I enjoy looking at that. Um, Randy Moss is a, one of my favorite all-time athletes. I like seeing he's got all these crazy workouts that he does, um, so I like looking at him. Uh, if anybody is out there wanting to have a good time, 
go out and follow Famous Los 32. One of the funniest people on the planet. He's a basketball guy, always does skits or whatnot. Um, he's good fun. Uh, but as far as individual coaches, let, let me put it this way, Jake. Here's what I found with coaching. And I don't want to make myself like seem like I'm on a soapbox. But if you just scroll through Twitter, a lot of what you see now with coaches is here's what I'm doing now. Here's what I'm selling. Come by my offense. Come by my drills. Come by my videos. Hey, I'm going to be speaking at such and such. You need to come see me, 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 me. And I think that's our kids are getting a bad rep. You know, so we can't get mad at the kids when they say, hey, I have my 34th offer. Well, your high school coach is out there trying to sell his CDs and books everywhere. So me as a coach, why wouldn't I go out there and let everybody know how great I am? Woo! Getting asked to the industry. Oh, (laughs) no, it's okay. it, It just bothers me when we do that, because at the end of the day, we're we're in this for the kids, I would, I would hope, uh, and because we love the game. So, you know, that's just something that some of the coaching friends of mine, we, we always kind of tease about that when, when guys use social media to pub themselves, which essentially all you're doing is trying to interview for another job while you have a job. It's true. And openly at that, man, coach, Lev, Coach Akeem, man, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on the show tonight, uh, man, and being one of the the day one supporters of Compete Every Day, man. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun to know you going on two decades, and like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'm I'm pretty excited to come watch uh, some of your games this year because they're, they're a little special this year more than most. I'd love to have you out there. You let me know. I'll make sure you get down there. for listening to another episode of the compete every day podcast to learn more visit competeeveryday.com to connect with jake or contact the show email us at podcast at competeeveryday.com and as always keep competing every day to be better than you were yesterday